don't need to look at me when you're talking because that makes me nervous because I know that when you're looking at me, you're not looking at the road. I've, I've, I've been driving for years. No, you're, you're in good hands. This okay, so just to set the scene, ladies and gentlemen, we are sitting in Jason's car. We're doing 80 miles an hour. We're still in Los Angeles and uh, we've got two of Jason's kids in the back watching uh, some kind of Tinkerbell. Th- Tinkerbell movie and Jason is basically talking to me, looking at me, driving. <laughs> And quite honestly, that's scary. Well, I because you you've only you only drove for about a year of your life. Yeah. That was only a little bit, right? Yeah. So you're a little less comfortable driving or knowing what what you can do driving, what you can't. I guess it's also just weird with you looking at me. I'm just not used to it. You know, we're normally in other ro- other rooms. Well, you always ha- and, and you never want me to look at you on Skype. You always hide the video. Yeah. What's what is what's that all about? I don't know. I do, I, it's just. I guess that's our, our format. Like, we just, it was just an audio format. I'm just a voice. It was, yeah, you're just a voice in my life, right? So now I'm a face and a voice. And I'm actually controlling your environment. I'll need to think about it differently. Car. I'll need to think about it differently if, if we start doing the whole visual stuff. <laughs> so, this whole outsourcing thing, just, I, I'm just not so impressed with it. Yeah, I want to hear about it. So, there was, a, there was a post you put up on, on, on Startup Guild basically saying that. You spent you've spent five hundred dollars. So I far, think, I think it. I've spent five hundred dollars, and I've spent about twenty hours of time, and I still don't. I haven't barely got anything back. And um, so, if you think about it, that's actually two and a half thousand dollars I've spent because my time's worth a hundred bucks an hour. You're right. right. So, it doesn't seem to me to be, you know, coming to great fruition. I mean, I, I like the guy. Um, I you know Abu, he's a good guy, um, but I think. I'm just not sure he's the the right level, and I I guess the, the, to pay someone the right level, I would need to be paying at least fifty, sixty dollars an hour, you know, because because the, right. the code's proper. I mean, it's like the kind of JavaScript code you do. Can you honestly imagine paying someone ten bucks an hour to do that? I can barely imagine paying someone ten dollars an hour to like uh, you know clean my house. So. Like it's it to me it's, it just seems beyond belief and I think it is beyond belief. Like he, he's been really good at one task so far. Okay. So you know that mistake I made of translating the whole of Plugio and basically creating those strings files. Right. And I wanted to reverse it. Right. So I wanted to get the string files, copy and paste it back into the code. Right. He was great at that job. Really good. He did it in like I don't know five hours and he methodically went through all of the strings. So it was like a tedious. Re- Repetitive job. Yeah, he was really. Was good anything at that. that take a lot? There was nothing that took a lot of creativity, a lot of decision making, a lot of hard problem solving. Yeah, no, none of those. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that he could solve hard problems as long as they were just sort of well-contained, sort of sandboxed problems? Yeah, possibly. I mean, that that is the problem. Is because the whole system is. It, it's it's like. I don't know. It's kind of like a coral structure, right? When you think of coral and having lots of different different tentacles, right? So all the code and all the different decisions that need to be made between the back end and the front end, it's all kind of, you know, it's all intertwined. Like, that's the, that's the thing about Ajax apps, right? right? I mean, I know that you can use uh, frameworks like Backbone or JavaScript MVC, but even so, even with those frameworks, it's still you need to think about the back end and think about the front end and think about the schema and think about the server and how everything affects everything else. Right. So it's difficult to ask someone to do something like that. Like, for example, the task that I asked him to do was in the schedule queue, 
right? There's at the moment there's no way to edit the time that something's going out. So you kind of put it into the schedule queue, and then that's it. It goes going out that time. There's I asked them to put in a little icon, and then you click that icon, and then basically it'll bring up a little edit pop-up. Then you can click save, and it'll save that to the database. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of ste- there's a lot of things to think about in that. Like first of all, he's got to work out. Okay, how does this front-end framework make a pop-up happen? Right. How do I fit it into the pop-up? How do I get a calendar to appear? Where do I, you know, what controller do I attach the AJAX action onto? Right. Where do I put it on the back end? How do I do it in such a way that I'm reusing existing code? Right. You know what I mean. So it's a small thing, but it's just. Every small task has a lot of different touch points. Now, you one thing you did mention is that you made a lot of progress when the two of you were working together, where you were essentially working and he was sort of watching, uh, watching you, and you were explaining what you were doing. It forced you to solve a bunch of really boring problems that you'd been putting off for months and months. Okay, so the thing about that is, I need to evaluate: is it worth me to spend ten dollars an hour to have someone watch me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a new service called Watch Me Code. <laughs> watch Me Code. It's like any foo, except just people watch you. <laughs> you just watch you to make sure. You know what you can do is they're, they're kind of like a personal training. Uh, you know, like when you go work out, you get a personal trainer. At first, it's to help you figure out what you should be doing, right? Yeah. So like, let's say that you want to lose weight or you want to, you know, put on muscle or whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, a personal trainer can really help you figure out the exercises you should be doing. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but at a certain point, once you sort of figure out the exercise you should be doing and how to do them, the real value add is that you make an appointment to be at the gym at a certain time, certain number of days a week, and they make sure you work hard, right? You can't, you can't screw around and you don't get involved with conversations with other people you might know at the gym, the guys or the girls sitting there watching you going, okay, well, do this, do 10 sets of this, or five sets of this, do this many reps, okay, now let's do this next set, and you just push through it, right? It forces you to stay on task. Yeah. So you can do the same thing with coding called Watch Me Code. <laughs> so it just sits there and kind of like, you know, make sure that you're not screwing around. I'd be hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. okay, so the question is, is that worth anything to you? Uh, well, I'd rather hire one of the $5 an hour guys for the same thing. To watch me go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the hope is is that one day this guy can do stuff. I mean, I, I feel that if I was working with him on a more consistent basis, more permanently, and um, that's fine. You can turn it up. That's fine. Leave it at, I think 18 is good. Okay. Um, I feel if I was working with him on a more consistent basis, even in the same building... He's the kind of guy who could definitely be brought up to speed. Right. But it would take some time. Okay, so 20 hours, I mean, that's not a ton of time. Because you're not only acquainting him with uh, how you write code, like how you how you approach JavaScript and your, your particular idioms and... Um, I don't know, idiosyncrasies because we all code and we all have certain tendencies of how we code and how yeah. we like to do things. The other and in your style, right? Your coding style. Yeah. And the other thing is getting them acquainted to, uh, or getting him acquainted, acquainted to Plugio itself. The how does the infrastructure work? How do the features work? Why do they work a certain way? Um, that's, I mean, that's additional learning curve, right? Yeah. And twenty hours isn't a lot. So if you hired someone in a job, and they showed up. Would you expect them after two days to be up and, you know, two 10-hour days to be up and really productive? Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, I, I'm saying I've spent 20 hours. I mean, he's, he's done 50 hours. Okay, 50 hours. So it's like a, it's like a full week or week and a half of coding. Yeah. And um, still not, it's still just not able to uh, contribute at a level that's interesting. Not helpful. yet. No. I mean, I, I could imagine after another couple of months, he may be able to. Right. So it's going to cost me, you know, a, a good. 1500 to 2000 to get him to begin to do stuff right just to get started right is that worth it would you do that you know i i, I don't know i mean I've, I've never done it before i'm pretty impatient with that kind of stuff that's probably why i, I haven't done it um and uh, i i hate meta meta work i hate writing documents and writing emails and having and talking about doing the work i just want to do it and you have to do a lot of meta work in order to delegate Right, and that's just so boring to me that I just end up avoiding doing it. I think it's partly because it's not in Drupal, it's not in Cake, it's not in an existing framework. So basically, when someone works on my code, they unless they're just very familiar with MVC in general, mm-hmm. which because I, I have had my framework which I built for Moyano passed off to another coding team and they just were instantly up and running with it without a problem because they just understood MVC it just makes sense the framework like that but I don't know just for this guy it's just well how do you how does he not know MVC if he's a professional coder well he does I guess I guess it's not that the back end isn't really the issue it's the front end actually he, he did get the he did get the back end that wasn't an issue so I guess I'm misspeaking here it's it's the front end the JavaScript stuff which I've done, and basically, which I learned at Sky BSB, um, that that style of using namespacing, that whole way that I did it, that I showed you, mm-hmm. and so all the HTML templating is kind of done within JavaScript itself. Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. Okay, so when we you posted up on uh, Startup Guild, you actually posted a, a JavaScript file. Yeah, and I made a, I made some notes on it that I wanted to ask you about. So the first thing is is just one file. Is that literally how you e- e- edit it or work on it? There's just one JavaScript file? No, no, that's that's the concatenated file. It's it's broken down into lots of sub-modules. Okay, because I was going to say, that right there is a mistake because it's like what I call the, the big-ass JavaScript file. Right, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's faster to download if you have one file. So what you want to do is you want to run, uh, run some type of... Uh, Concatenator for you. That's right. Production, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, well, no, I, I actually run a concatenator on production. It does it live. So what happens is that basically it has a quick check to see if any of the JavaScript files have been updated. If nothing's updated, then it serves the, the current cache. Uh-huh. If something has been updated, then it concatenates them on the fly and, that's and serves. Smart. That's smart. So that's good. So th- there's about 15 to 20 little JavaScript modules. Okay. They're all namespaced to um, TM because it used to be TweetMiner. So my, okay. my top level uh, namespace is TM. And basically, yeah, all that code is that way. And then one of those modules is a template. And so basically, it's just pure HTML in template in um, strings form. Yeah, well, that's, one, uh, that's the second thing I ask you is that it didn't look like you were using a template, a template library that you were just concatenating HTML. And that was hard to read. Someone, some, one of the, uh, someone commented on it in Startup Guild. Yeah, no, I saw that, and it's very hard to read in that format. But if you actually saw it, just the template file on its own, you'd find it pretty easy. So it is a template file. It, it's just, it's a template file, but it is HTML strings concatenated. But it's very easy to read when you see it the way it is. Um, some some guy um, put a link up. I mean, I've been doing it this way for for a while, but some guy put a link up to it as a way of doing it in Hacker News. So what it is is. You basically, every line of HTML 
you put in between single quotes and then you tab them and indent them right so that you can kind of see them so it looks like HTML but it is in strings yeah see that's not really a template engine so much what the way I, I, I use a template um, class Gowan and I wrote our own template class um, uh, let me say that again because I think I touched it so we wrote our own template class um, for PHP and it just reads a template file um, in an HTML file and then it runs it through and it assigns all the variables and, and renders the blocks and then and outputs the whole thing and you could do the same thing with uh, JavaScript very easily I mean you could you could have the same kind of class that reads an HTML file um, from JavaScript or has it or has it in memory right has 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 those loaded up as strings like these are template files and runs through those and you just assign a bunch of variables render blocks and output the whole thing it would be much cleaner yeah I mean it basically is the same thing um, you'd see if I showed it to you, if, I, if I kind of showed it to okay. you and talked you through it but it's not it Agreed that it's not a template, but actually that just makes it run faster because it doesn't have to do double parsing, right? So the HTML is just loaded into strings in memory to start off with, without the parsing part. Yeah. Okay. So that that's fine, but the the it, speed probably isn't going to be your issue um, for this. And I, I'm just thinking in terms of the gain for the gain in terms of ease of understand uh, of how understandable it is, uh, ease of readability, ease of maintainability. So like. Basically, your illities. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you, if you're the only one working on it, it doesn't matter. And you, and you find it easy to understand and easy to maintain, then great. Um, I was just thinking that if it was a template, if it was a true template well, class and true template, uh, template um, strings, that it might be a little easier for some Okay, so imagine looking at, a, at a, an HTML file, right? So you've got a standard HTML file. You've got it indented. Now, you've got that in your mind. Okay. Right? Now, simply put... At the beginning of every line, a single quote, and at the end of every line, yep. a single quote. That's the only difference between that and an HTML file. Just out of curiosity, how are you concatenating the strings? Are you doing... Just a, just a plus on the end of each line. Okay, one thing you want to do to make that faster is that you want to make, rather than doing a plus in each line, you, you want to create an array at the top called, let's call it lines equals, you know, bracket, uh, yeah. braces, just like an array. And at every line, you just do a push rather than a plus, a lines.push, and push the line on it. So you're concatenating lines on array, and at the end, you do a join with... Uh, oh, is that faster, yeah? Yeah, it's faster, because when you keep concatenating to a string, what ends up happening is you end up having, at a certain point, the memory keeps being recopied to, to increase the size of the string, the internal string buffer. And that's why, like, in Java and certain other uh, languages, they give a built-in library called a string buffer class or string builder class when you just keep adding, adding, adding. So internally, it has an array of strings, and then at the end, it just does one big... Uh, well, for example, I'm not doing plus equals each line. I'm just doing plus. You're so, doing plus? So basically, it's not added, It's not continually adding to a new string. Okay. It's in the creation of one string. So this, this is very technical for our listeners, but basically, an example is var space HTML equals... Then I'll do a, uh, some quotes, and then I'll do a plus, and then on the next line I'll do some quotes, and then I'll do a plus, and the next time I'll do a quotes. Until the end, I just put a semicolon. So it's it is the declaration of one string. Right. Does that is that would that still be faster doing pushes? You know I don't know. I mean you know actually that probably something you need to test with because it's it's just a question of how does JavaScript handle strings. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're doing an initial string creation and you're adding you added fifty or a hundred pieces to it. Is that you know how does how does how does the JavaScript interpreter you know uh, handle that or the JavaScript 
you know, our V8 compiler. I don't really know. I don't know. It seems to run pretty fast. It's probably worth a, worth a test, though. But I, I just thought if you're doing that plus equals, I'm like an, an easy change to make that. Oh, yeah. No, faster. no. It's not plus equals. So the other the other thing I noticed is that your um, your JavaScript style wasn't, uh, wasn't really... Um, it wasn't adhering to the the JavaScript style guidelines. Um, you do things that I've seen that you like to do, which are probably similar to how you do it in PHP. Probably, um, yeah. And that's another thing is that you know, which is fine to do, right? I mean, style is just like all what? matter of what you want to do. Well, you you um, you put your 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 open braces on new lines. You put you don't put space between your ifs and in your first parenthesis. You put spaces between your um, after and before your last um, parenthesis and um, between the variable names. Just just little things. I mean, they're little things, but I just looked through it and I noticed about five or ten things. I'm like, well, those he's not following, say, the published. See, Google created a style guideline for JavaScript, which they basically took what were the prevailing standards. So if you look at the, at the top JavaScript library projects, yeah, there were a certain set of standards that had just be, kind of come conventions. And I used to do some things a different way, but then I said, all right, screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna fight the power. I'm just gonna go, whatever the prevailing convention, styling conventions are in JavaScript, I'll go with them. Just like I do with in PHP. Whatever the prevailing conventions are in the language, I just go with those and quit trying, because oftentimes you, you tend to want to fight them because you have your certain style and you'll be like, oh, this is how I like it. But what happens is, integrating with other people's code or using other libraries stuff starts to look weird or if anyone has to look at your code it's harder for them so I that's my philosophy is I just kind of go with the prevailing standards well I'm happy to go with all of the standards except for the one standard which shouldn't be a standard which is the one where the brackets on the end of the same line as the if and then you've got the closing bracket on the so the closing bracket is on is it is vertically in line with the i right and the opening bracket is just after the on the same line as the if mm-hmm. right that that doesn't make sense and that only exists because when the very first book was written about c Kernigan and Richie. yeah the the brackets were supposed to be on the same line so the opening bracket was supposed to be underneath the i and the closing bracket was supposed to be in line with that as well so that everything in the middle looked like a block. Right. The only reason why they moved it up was to save space in printing of the book. And they didn't even consult the, the writers. They just did it when they printed it. Now, you know this for you know this for fact, or yeah, is this, no, this is some myth you've heard? That, no, it's definitely, that's what happened. And as a result, that is the way that people code now, which is simply because some printer somewhere arbitrarily decided, you know what, we could save a lot of space if we did that. Right. So that's one stat that I'm not going to adhere to. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine, but I'm just saying that's... Any, is Anytime you introduce exceptions to the, to the prevailing conventions and you bring other people in, it always makes it a little more difficult. But that's that's probably... That would be a micro-optimization. Yeah. Right? That would be like, you know, any intelligent coder can then look at how you code and be like, ah, okay, I'll, you know, so he does he does this with his parentheses or he does this with his variable naming. Um, camels or camel case or underscores or whatever. But... Um, the uh, the first thing I noticed that I thought I thought it was like one giant text file. I was like, holy <laughs> crap! I'm like, no wonder he doesn't understand what's going on. The other thing that you don't do, at least unless you're because of the concatenation removed it, there was no comments in front of any of your functions or at the top at the top of any of your functions like uh, comment headers or at the top of any of your classes, which means you can't really look at. You have to really look through the code carefully to understand yeah. what are the parameters, which are optional, what are the returns, what's the usage. If you did that for every function in every class it's a lot more yeah typing, no, that, but that's true I mean I, I normally do comment pretty well um, but I think that that whole JavaScript front end of Plugio it was sort of like 
many, many sessions of the madness all concatenated next to each other. It's like, you know, 4 a.m. coding sessions, trying to make something happen, trying to make it work. So basically, it's about 10,000 lines of prototype code that should really not be prototype code anymore. You know, speaking of the <laughs> madness, I was reading... Um I was reading up on Wikipedia about uh, a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. And I was reading about On the Road, Kerouac's On the Road. And Kerouac wrote um, On the Road straight in like, I think it was like 36 hours or three days or something like that. Oh, that's the madness. On a single 120, uh, I think it was like, I think it was a 120-foot or 120-page scroll. No. It was just one scroll. It was one continuous scroll. Like a fax scroll. Yeah, one of, it was just one, those one scroll because the, this was back, I think he typed, it was like 1951 or 52 awesome. or something like that. Yeah. So I was thinking that, now that's the madness. Yeah. Now the myth was that he wrote the entire thing in that one sitting. Now while he did do that, he had had earlier sort of um, drafts of it, partial drafts of ideas that he had. Okay. And he had been taking notes on all these road trips he'd been taking, all these travels. So he had a bunch of notes. So it's, you'd almost think of like if you're writing software, like you had built miniature prototypes of certain features that you wanted to do. Yeah. Right? Those would be like the equivalent of taking notes. Right? I built a function here. I built an interesting class. experimented with this. And then he made a few attempts. But then I think after his last big road trip, he, the ideas kind of coalesced in his brain. And he just sat down and just for like 36 hours straight or whatever it was, wrote 120 page, pages on a continuous scroll and just was done. Maybe it was a week. I, I can't remember what the time was. I think you have these ideas when you're, when you're a kid and a teenager. And they're kind of the seeds of good ideas. And sometimes it takes you the rest of your life to keep refining them and refining them and refining them. And then they, they come into fruition at a later stage. Like, that's that's what frameworks have been like for me, like uh, PHP frameworks and JavaScript frameworks. Mm-hmm. Like, they've gradually been getting better and better as the years go by. Probably, one day, they'll just look like, I don't know, jQuery or something. Maybe like, like some seven lines framework. of code, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, the other one I was reading about, uh, Hunter S. Thompson's, uh, how he wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. And the same thing is, like, after... It was after he took two road trips with his attorney... And actually, he was. They were. They were it was a uh, job for Sports Illustrated. They were going to um, cover this road race or something. I was going to say, why would you take a road trip with your attorney? I think. Couldn't they, think of anything more boring. No, it wasn't his attorney. I was in a, an attorney friend is who was interviewing oh. about. Uh, I think this guy was a human rights uh, activist attorney, civil rights attorney. Yeah. Uh, a Latin American. He, he's from. I think he was um, Mexican American, and apparently in 1971. It was difficult for a white journalist and uh, and a Mexican uh, or Mexican American to have open meetings. Out huh. Like they could go to a restaurant, and it was because of the because of the uh, you know yeah the social, whole race thing, yeah. yeah the social situation there. So they said, right, well, we're going to go to Vegas, and that way we can talk about this stuff. And uh, Hunter S. Thompson was given was given a. Um, a job to cover this Mint 400, I think some kind of race or road race that was in Vegas. And they end up blowing off the whole thing and end up just taking a bunch of drugs and having this crazy experience and that's <laughs> where the ideas came for. And I think they did another, another like a month later, they did another trip to kind of fill out some of the ideas. <laughs> so, well, anyway, after, after, um, after Hunter S. Thompson, after he uh, finished the second road trip, came back and just sat down and wrote the whole thing and like you know one or and just like it was like a week he was alone in a hotel room for a week and just wrote the whole thing it was like the madness so both yeah. uh, in both cases it's like what you talk about the madness like you just 
you take a bunch of notes, you get a bunch of ideas, and then it just it hits you, and you 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 have to you have to get it out. You and get the great, you get the best work that way. Well, not the best, but you get some pretty inspired work that way. That's happened to me a few times, especially well, with music. Well, a lot of times it's like um, because you know every time when you take a few days off from writing code, you just forget all the details. Like it, 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 when you're working on something, have, you're heavily working on one project. It's all loaded into RAM, right? It's almost like loading an entire database into RAM. That's why a database that's loaded into RAM versus having to read from disk is so much more efficient. Everything is there. It's easily accessible. It's easy, readable. It's in your short-term memory. It's not just in your long-term memory. Right. Long-term memory is like your hard disk. Short-term memory is like your RAM. So, as much of you, as much of whatever is you're working on, is is as much of it as you can have into RAM. The faster you're going to be, the faster you're going to be able to connect ideas and make decisions and make progress. And I think that's probably why when you have the madness you have this inspiration you can get so much done because you just stay on it and you don't think about anything else I think that's what uh, getting into the zone's all about and why you find it so hard to context switch because basically you need to get all that boot all that stuff into your mind and then focus on that one zone yeah because getting getting this stuff back in your mind is really boring it's hard yeah. and it's boring whereas because you, you want to have it in your mind and once you're there, then it's fun because not only you're making progress, but it's like it's like an itch you have to scratch. Yeah. And I, I find it so frustrating to have to reboot myself on a project. So I want to ask you about this. So you said that was the way it was with music. So yeah. you were a musician for ten years. You, you that's all you did for yeah. about ten years, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I would get the madness with the song with the songs. I mean, that's where I first begin, begun to understand this concept about the madness. It's because it's like a song has a hook. And that hook, you kind of keep going over and over in your head, and then you extend on that hook, and you write your verses, and you write your cor- the the middle eight, and the whole thing, and y- you just work on this one song for like two days, and it just becomes obsessively ingrained, and you can't think about anything else except for that melody, that hook, the song, how to grow it, how to build it. Right. It's obsessive. How many songs did you write in your music career? Say? I guess like a hundred, probably. From start to finish, completely finished, actually recorded the song? Oh, uh, probably like 50. So you probably wrote a hundred and recorded 50? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, of song ideas, I guess, more, you know, even more, probably like a couple of hundred. A couple yeah. of hundred song ideas then turned into pretty much full songs, probably a hundred, and actually on tape, probably about 50. Right. I was talking to this uh, musician at the uh, park a couple weeks ago. He's, he's one of his kids plays at the park yeah. that I take, take my kids to. And I, I talked to him about music a lot. I mean, that's, that's what he does. He's, he's one of these professional sort of studio musicians and uh, you know, has a lot of years of experience. And he was talking about how a lot of musicians, a lot of songwriters are just sort of like cut and paste what he calls cut and pasters. They are? They, they, they cut and paste sort of, I don't know, the melodies or the rhythms or the or whatever, these aspects of other songs they've heard that kind of glue it together. Well, that happens subconsciously. I mean, I've done that, like, but not even consciously. Like, uh, and for example, there's a song at the moment by Lady Gaga. Right. Or maybe you call her Gaga. Lady Gaga. Right. Uh, which is the one about Born This Way. Right. Which is basically 100% exactly the same as Madonna's Express Yourself from 94. Huh. Right? And if you listen, if you think about Madonna, Express Yourself, like it's basically it's just exactly the same. And But I can imagine that Lady Gaga didn't go, oh, I'm going to copy Madonna. It's just that she, that song, that melody, it's, it's kind of part of your cell structure because you know that song so well. So then you start writing a song and that's what the inspiration is all about. It just basically comes out in a slightly different way. 
that's right. what inspiration is you know like every song is written on the shoulders of giants very yeah, very few I mean, songs I, are I guess the reality is as they would say is like nothing nothing's new everything no. is a is a rethinking or reapplication of something that's been done before well like twitter is a twitter is a rethinking of instant messaging it's a, you know minimally different but but then that tiny little fraction of a difference created a billion dollar company and now it seems tremendously different but to be honest it's basically just i am yeah well the same you know software it's, it's true in software it's true in you know most in every business model pretty much it had existed in some way, shape or form yeah um for um you could say the same thing about uh, i mean the same things about novels the same thing is about screenplays i was reading a book on um, writing screenplays called save the cat and he's going through the different formats and the different types of screenplays and he's like He's like, this movie is just this other movie. And this movie, this movie, you think it's certain, it's just, you know, X, it's just Y. It's just the same thing. There's certain, um, you know, I actually call it like, there's certain character types, there's certain plot formats. That oh, just yeah, work. yeah, yeah. What, like, for example, the classic one is, there's one story is like rags to riches. Rags yeah? to riches. Another story is uh, riches to rags to riches. Right, so I think there's like 11, yeah. 11 different Something like plots. that. And like yeah. there's the buddy buddy flick, or yeah. there's the yeah. And you could twist and turn. I was taught that in my writing class. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting book. Save the cat is pretty well known, I think, within the writing industry. And um, save the cat, I think, it's its name is that when you have a protagonist, you want them to do something early, right er, in the first few scenes, to win the empathy of the uh, of the audience right so even if some guy's kind of a bad guy he does something kind of nice he saves the cats so you're like oh that guy's a good guy or I like that guy right yeah. I mean he may have flaws he may be kind of a dark character but there's something redeeming about them anyway I thought that was interesting so what's going on with your uh, your film script so um, I talked to the writer uh, his name's Tyler uh, yesterday at the gym no Friday at the gym and he says it's done um, he wanted to get it he wanted to get me a copy of the screenplay uh, a, a, a copy of it before I left um, to go out of town but because uh, I, I think I said I said well just let me know and I said just email to me he's like no 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 is it, is it a comedy yeah it's a comedy he's read Why, the would you never email it in case someone else yeah that's what he said he said you never email um, you know screenplays or I guess for TV it's a pilot he wrote a pilot right it's a why, why? in case it can be stolen yeah yeah because it says once it's in digital form and, and you transmit it I mean you have no control over it he's like He's like, only hard copy until we get it registered. And he's like, so I want to get you... He, he, he said he wanted to get me a hard copy of it before I took off out of town. So I don't know if that's going to happen because we're going to be in Vegas. We're, you and I are driving back Tuesday night from Vegas. And then Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. we're standing there heading to the airport to fly to uh, Sweden. So I don't, How are we going to do a show from Sweden? I don't know. That's why hopefully we get a lot of material the next few days. So we should we can, be able to do it, though, because I mean, I'm planning on moving to England. Oh, well, I'm sure we could we could record it. I just don't know if I'll have time. I don't know oh, if, okay. if it'll be... Uh, well, we'll see. But I'm, what I'm hoping is that while we're in Vegas, on the drive there, on the drive back, for interviews, we'll get, you know, the equivalent of four or five shows worth of material that you can just release and edit as you have time over the next couple of weeks. Okay. I mean, we'll see. But uh, that was kind of what I was hoping. So there was no pressure on us. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So anyway, so Tyler, I asked him. I said, well, "What do you? How do you think?" He's like, "Oh, it's it's, it's he's as good. It's going to beat every other animal in the pen." Is what he said. It's, oh, he thinks that. Oh, yeah, he you always do that when you write. Your, you know, when you first write it. Yeah, I don't know. He he uh, he's 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 as good, and he's ex he's excited about it. And you know, he's written. He's made a lot of movies. So, how much of a cut are you going to get? 
I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the creator and he's the writer. He's like, yeah, we'll just, I think we're just equal partners. He said, we're just equal partners. 50-50. You just gave an idea. 50-50. I'm telling you, maybe that's the business we should be in. Jesus. Because <laughs> that's what I was, that was really funny when we first um, talked about it. Because when he said, when he said that, oh, when I told him the idea and he said, oh, I'll write it. And I was like, okay, well, what I do? And he's like, nothing, I'll write it. And I'm like, really? That's it? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you're the creator. I'm like, I like and that. He, and he said, literally, these words came out of his mouth. It's going to be 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, well, he said, yeah, well, you were equal partners because he had actually came up with the numbers. He's like, oh, if we sold Because I just want to remind you, right, that at least three times in your life, you've made a deal where you've kind of assumed that it's a certain way, and it's ended up, you've be- ended up being screwed. Just want to remind you about that. Yeah, okay, well... In most of those cases, it was agreed a certain way, and it was in contract form. Okay. And it was just that I didn't have the financial wherewithal to um, contest um, to con- 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 contest the situation. So that's the problem when you are outweighed by three orders of magnitude or four orders of magnitude in their net worth. Yeah. Then it's just hard to fight. It's like you know, if, if you're in a deal with Apple. And Apple says, uh, Justin, you know, we're not going to, you're going to do X and you're going to deal with it. You just, you know, it's what happens, it's happens a few times in, in Hollywood, you know, people get screwed over by um, studios and they just don't have the ability, they just don't, they just can't afford the legal cost to contest it. Not only that, you get a name for yourself as somebody who's problematic because you've got an illegal, um, wrangle with some studios so those studios don't want to touch it because they don't really know why and they think maybe this person's just got that's just the kind of person they are so what's the story with that um, <clears throat> blog post you were going to do about the IFF oh well let me let me just finish this off first so okay. the, the thing one thing I will say about this with Tyler is I, I don't really have a lot on the line because I didn't do anything I haven't done any work. Yeah. It's not like I... There's no risk. It's not like I, like these other things where I spent months or years working and working my, hard on some project to then later find out that, you know, I wasn't going to get anything from it. Well, the good news is it's definitely recording. Okay. Yeah, so uh, tell us about this IFF thing. Well, uh, you know, well, first I First of all, IFF. What's IFF? Innovation Freedom Foundation, which <laughs> was uh, coined by one of our listeners, Jamal, um, and I thought that's a great name. So I, I promised I'd have it written by this weekend, but uh, you know, I I was so I got and I seriously got a hardcore promise from you. You absolutely guaranteed by this weekend it was yeah. going to be done. That's why I just I was crushed by by when I work for Uber and another client. And I mean, I, I was working nonstop for like seven, eight days, and then, you know, I had to get re- prepared for the trip. So I I'm never going to believe you again. Yeah, well, that's probably why I'm not going to give you any hard dates or anything anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I, I get things done when I can get them done. I'll tell you something. When I walked into your apartment today and saw the three kids and all the the stuff that was going down, the craziness. Like, if, I, if that was me, I would not be able to get any work out the door ever. So, to be honest, I'm pretty impressed that you ever get anything done because I couldn't get anything done in that scenario. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's hard. I, so, I wrote the first, um, I wrote, like, the intro paragraph to it. I'm not going to make it a long post. It's going to make three or four paragraphs. I yeah. don't think it requires a lot. No. And it's just a call to arms, really. Yeah, and after the whole, um, I guess the write-up by Fred Wilson on, uh, it was called Enough is Enough was a title yeah. and I think it got like 700 and some odd points it was set up at number one for you know a day or so and 
clearly a lot of people are fed up with software patents and, and, and even more so they're, they're fed up with patent trolls taking advantage gaming the system so, well, the, so you know we were just just a few seconds ago talking about how companies prey on people with less money take them to court and this whole thing's about that yeah and what I can't remember which company it was that um, I think it's, it's Sam uh, posted on um, on Startup Guild about there's some company that's going and it's going after these small developers this patent troll is going after small developers and suing them first or threatening them so they can get licensing deals out of or well, because licensing. they already have licensing deals from from Apple this is the this is the thing if you read Fred Wilson's post is that the same one or is that a different uh, well uh, that company is one of them anyway that company or, so basically yeah so here's what the pattern is the pattern is for in in app purchasing okay that's what the pattern is Inside an application, you can make a purchase. The idea that that is patentable to me is absolutely nuts. I mean, how can an in-app purchase be patentable? Yeah, I mean, anyway. all this stuff is absolutely it's absolutely oh ludicrous. I mean, the, the the patent system, at least in regards to uh, software, is, is broken. I mean, I'm not an expert on patent law, but from what I can tell, from what what from what I've seen over the last 10 years, it's just ridiculous and it has to be reformed. Right, so basically Apple... Uh, have already paid a license fee, you know, IBM paid a license fee. So they've already got a whole chunk of money. Now they're going after the small guys, and we're talking about small guys who just have a couple of thousand revenue. And they're saying, right, you need to pay us a license for all of the sales you've made. Are and, you sure they're that small? Well, I think that, yeah, they're just going after small guys who are making apps, like just individual indie developers, making huh. apps in the app store, like anyone, which is kind of annoying because, well, it's, it's incredibly annoying. But um, Sebastian was just talking to me the other day saying that when we build our app, he'd like to, to get it all set up through in-app purchases. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to do that. Let's do something different. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully maybe if, if you're lucky, this will be resolved one way or the other in the next oh, few months. Oh, it's very frustrating. But just to say, yes, sweetheart. Is everything all right? Do you want it turned up? What, what do you want? She wants some chicken. I'm sorry, we don't have any chicken right now. Huh. What kind of chicken? Do you want like a, a big chicken? Like how big? This big? Like a big chicken with feathers? It goes like this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you need, Izzy? You, you want to eat a chicken wing? Chicken okay. face? When we stop for lunch, you can have some chicken, okay? If you ever, have you ever eaten a chicken face? Eat a face, like... <laughs> I don't think she knows what the hell she's talking about. <laughs> Ooh, is that, that big guy? guy. That guy looks like a bear and he talks crazy. So, um, yeah, well, Lotus and these other companies are, are, they have like a bootstrapping model. Oh, where yeah. They're yeah. just going to go after the small ones and they'll get more and more revenue from either settlements or licensing deals from these smaller developers who don't have the wherewithal to defend themselves or litigate it. And. As they build up their yeah, you their said this chest. last week. Yeah, then so they have a really smart. So the only way to fight it is to get everybody to uh, band together and and maybe support a foundation like the ACLU or EFF that has a two part. The one part, which is a um, the foundation, which would um, lobby Congress, right? Which yeah. would write you know articles and op eds in various newspapers about this stuff. Um, basically raise awareness of it, uh, but definitely put, put, put pressure on Congress, right? If you have a big enough um, foundation with enough uh, money behind it, you can put... That's money talks in Washington, But right? you need, like, a full-time... Oh, no, you would need a full-time staff. You would need 
real funding. I mean, you would need a, a multi-multi-million dollar So are you basically saying, let's talk to Apple and Microsoft and get those guys to put money into this? I think what you need to do is... Oh, well, the thing I was going to say, and there's a second part of it, which would be like sort of a, le- a separate legal entity, which is the way the ACLU works, and I think the EFF as well. So one's the foundation. The second is the legal entity, which does all the... which writes the amicus briefs for any relevant case, which provides legal support or legal defense for like the smaller um, yeah. cases, for for if the, if the litigants are the um, are the people being um, being charged, um, being um, defending, you know, against these patent controls who don't really have the money, but yet if they lose, that sets legal precedent. You want um, you want to defend those companies, right? But so what you do is you get all of. I think it'd be easy to get lots of small and mid-sized companies to agree to support. A foundation like this. I mean, everybody puts in, you know, a few hundred, a few thousand, twenty, thirty thousand, whatever, you know, on their size. And as you start to show some traction there, and you show people are serious about it, maybe you get, you know, maybe you get five or ten thousand members, and maybe you can get start in Kickstarter. Maybe you can raise a quarter million dollars. Then, at that point, then maybe you can go and try and talk to people at Google. Yeah. Try and talk to people at. Um, Apple. So you want to bootstrap it. You got to bootstrap it the same way. You, you, or maybe what you do is you start that way, and then you go and talk to people like Fred Wilson, and you say, Fred, you know, we did that. We came up with the idea. We've maybe get on board some people who are are uh, patent law experts. I think there's a I think there's a, even a podcast like on um, Leo Laporte's network. Yeah. Like like about um, like Grok Law or, or law and um, and the web and, or something like that. You get people like that who are who have a passion for technology and are also patent law patent uh, law experts, and you get them on board. People like Lawrence Lessig, maybe, who would maybe sit as a board advisor. You you kind of one by one, you build up your board of advisors and maybe people who'd be willing to help out on some level. Then you maybe talk to somebody like Fred Wilson and say, hey, we got all these high-powered people willing to help us. Can you help us then talk to some people at Google? Like Google has a foundation and they're always trying to do no evil. So, all right, well, this would be the ultimate do no evil, right? You need to go... You know what? The way that it's worked for this script is good. This works for you. You need a ghostwriter. You just come up with ideas and you get other people to write them up. (laughs) <laughs> Someone from our audience should basically write this article for you, and then you just finish do the finishing touches. All right, so that I can uh, get back to doing fifteen other things. I exactly. Do. Well, yeah. that's the thing is, I, I, I after I had the idea, I was all fired up about it, and I went and I told Sam, I was like, "Oh, I got to write this thing." She's like, "So what? You're gonna start a, f- a nonprofit foundation now?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, she's I just like, imagine. Well, "What?" I mean, yeah. I'm like, "No, no, I'm just." George gonna- is the same. She's like, "Look." You've already got your hands full of stuff. Why are you doing this other stuff? Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. You, you, you really can't overcommit yourself. And you and I both have a really bad habit of doing that, we overcommitting do. ourselves, because we get excited about things. We know we have the ability to make things happen. But the reality is there's only so many hours in a day, so any, hour, any time you put into that, you're not putting into these other things that you've already decided are important. Okay, so I'm looking through your list of first topics here. So I'll, I'll have to go to the space station found on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. That was great. That was great. So um, I now, is that really a space station, or is that just a couple of pixels rendered strangely? Well, yeah. So I watched the video, and and I guess this guy named David something I can't remember. He, um, which the article David uh, Martins. David Martins. They describe the article, and it was at the Sun. It's from the Sun UK. Yeah. What kind of paper is that? Uh, like the National Enquirer. So it's completely ridiculous. Well, the Sun is basically known for having naked girls on page three. I don't see a problem with that. 
I'm just saying that that's <laughs> it's it's basically considered lower. A, not, like a, it's it's a lowbrow newspaper. Let's not, just put it that way. But is it is it is it? So the, the Inquirer has it no credibility. No, it's no, it's not it's not the Inquirer. It's not as bad as that. Okay, it's just it's just uh, right uh, lowbrow. Now. Yeah. The video the guy had of Google Mars, I guess there's something called Google Mars. Have you ever played with something like that? Yeah. Google Earth? Yeah. So it's just a video of him zooming in, and he has the coordinates listed. You can go on Google Mars and yeah, look yeah. at it. And it looks like, it's sort of pixelated, but it looks like a a uh, metal, metallic structure of some kind. Yeah, definitely. Which he estimated at 700 feet by 150 feet. And, uh, and I guess a lot of people, you know, were going on Google Mars and checking it out, you know, and, you know, some people are like, ah, it's probably just a, you know, pixelation of a rock formation. It didn't look like that. I mean, it looked pretty, it looked like a metallic structure. So, uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, who knows, but I thought it was a fun story. I but, think you're gradually turning into Adam Curry as time goes by. No, just because I say something's interesting doesn't mean I, I'm, I'm totally, be- I believe Well, Adam it, right? Curry doesn't say he necessarily believes oh, it. Oh, my he God. Just, he just has, says, let's have an open mind. Well, there's, I mean, look, you're right. So, what could it be, right? Could let's go. So let's say there's a metallic structure, a huge metallic structure on Mars, on Mars. right? Well, the, the Pioneer One guys, right? They, that it whole fits premise, 100% with Pioneer One, right? That they that the the Russians had set an outpost, <laughs> a small outpost on Mars. Yeah. Right. And um, what was it? Richard Dolan, we interviewed him, and he was like, you know, he thinks that there's a secret, sort of a black space program. That there's stuff going on. There's off-world stuff that 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 isn't made public that's just top top secret yeah you know I mean what would be interesting is like okay would it ever have been possible would we have ever had the ability to uh, to create a small space station on on Mars I mean it seems unlikely it seems hard to believe but not to me not completely not look it's like one of those things it's like does it seem highly improbable yes is it impossible no no could we have reached Mars could we have said um, could we have sent rockets to Mars I think we could have, although I think there are problems with it in terms of like gamma radiation. Well, well, well when you say we, I mean, are you talking about Russians or Americans? I mean, it could I'm have been Americans. the Russians. I'm just saying the U.S. It could have been Americans. Let's just say it's a, let's say it's the U.S. Right? We have why, are you, why are you assuming that? Um, just because. Well, I mean, Russia kind of fell apart and was in financial problems. I don't think they really had the financial ability. It could have been. Something. It could have been Hitler. Oh come on. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're <laughs> <break>. <laughs> we weren't a space-faring race in the 1940s. Well, there's certainly the there's, a, there's a there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories that that we were. Well, that's a lot of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories that say a lot of things, but let's see what would be okay. <laughs> let's assume. Let's just assume that a high-resolution photo came out that said that identified it as, as it's, it's irrefutable that there is a a a small space station uh, sitting out there on Mars, right? So what would be the most likely explanation for it? It would probably be Earth. the U.S. It'd be, and it would probably be the Earth. It would probably be the U.S. because yeah. we have the most advanced space program and the most money. We also have an incredible amount of secrecy uh, in our in our defense department and things like that. So could it be possible? It seems highly, highly improbable, but... Uh, at the very least, it makes for a great story. But it could also be from like just a rich billionaire, you know, <laughs> like con, like the movie Contact with yeah, Foster. something like that. Yeah. Well, Contact was written by what? Carl Sagan. Did you ever see the movie? Uh, yeah, I did. So it was written. It was a book by Carl Sagan and what Jodie Foster. That's a pretty good book. That was a clever idea because basically they took the concept of encryption and put it alongside aliens coming to Earth. It <laughs> was good. I like that idea. I mean, I, I, I was a really good. Uh, that was a really entertaining movie. Um, 
a billionaire. I wonder how many billions it would take. I mean, that'd have to be like Bill Gates billionaire. But even then, I mean, it still would probably be... I think to set up a space station on uh, Mars would probably be like a multi-trillion dollar operation. It It would probably cost... Let's say you were really efficient about it and it was using the most modern technology probably be like a trillion dollar operation at the very least about the cost of the Iraq war so we could have gone a, a war in Iraq or we could have set up a space station on Mars Mars you should have done that I think the Mars space station would have been better but you know you look at Elon Musk with SpaceX yeah I mean they they their launch rockets I mean this is a small little company out of nowhere that's just been like four years old or something that's that set this contract with NASA it's going to be is, well, he, I, I was heavy, just thinking these heavy launch rockets called the Dragon that's going to be yeah, taking yeah. stuff up to the space station I mean that's amazing so what would be an, what would be an order of magnitude bigger version of SpaceX or, or transport tra- SpaceX in you know 10 or 20 years from now that, well that's good that's what I was just thinking is that's going to happen I mean within 100 years you know getting into space is going to be cheap well 100 years is for sh- I mean for sure unless we totally screw up but do I you think-, think we'll live 100 years it's interesting. We talked to Ray Kurzweil. I mean, you know about you know his whole theory on the. Look at that RV right there. Bloody hell! <laughs> yeah, about the 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 idea of the technological singularity that at a certain point, um, if you're young enough and you're healthy enough, you may actually live forever because the the rate at which science advanced, medical science and 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 uh, the science of longevity. Uh, or, um, I guess science of immortality is advancing fast enough that it might catch us. So if you're too old, you might just be too frail. There is a guy, Aubrey de Grey. Is a scientist. You heard of Aubrey de Grey? Yeah. Yeah. So Aubrey de Grey is. He gives some TED talks on this. Um, I think he's. I've buddy. seen him on on a couple of documentaries. He's an interesting guy, but he's definitely going to be too old. He's that not that guy. old. I don't think he's that old. I don't think he's older than us. Oh. I just think he has a beard to his. Well, he looks old. He has a beard to his knees, practically. Yeah. He looks and he looks like strange and old. Rip Van Winkle or something. <laughs> but um. I don't know. Uh, you know, my my uh, my plan is, I want to do the, like the cryogenic freezing when I die. Have are you heard that? Are you seriously going to do that? Well, you know, ever since high school, my but my my one of my best friends from high school, uh, Mitchell, he's the friend of mine. He's the stuntman. Yeah. Who, who I th- who my uh, Colby and I do the uh, the parkour with. Yeah. Occasion. Yeah. So. I remember we were like in high school and we were reading about this when it first started happening and it wasn't like in Wired magazine. There was another magazine kind of like Wired, one of these sort of transhumanist mag- uh, magazines. Um, and they were they did this article about these two companies that would do cryogenic freezing. So they would freeze your whole body or freeze just your head. So what would happen is... Just your head. Yeah, well, the idea being that your body your could be regenerated, right? And it's much cheaper to freeze just your head, your brain, which is essentially you. Okay, so assuming that they have genetic regeneration and stuff like that in 500 years or whenever you're, 200 years, whenever you're woken up. Yeah. So here's the idea is that you would take out a life insurance policy worth $100,000 and you would sign them, you would assign it to them. So they would be paid $100,000 to freeze your body and everything like that. And I remember reading an article, I mean a book a few years later uh, a guy named Bart Costco wrote this book called um, Fuzzy uh, Fuzzy Thinking. He's, he's written a number of art, uh, books on on artificial intelligence um, and specifically um, about fuzzy logic or uh, fuzzy neuro, neuro fuzzy systems. Yeah. So he's I mean he's a I think he's a um, he's a full professor at, at USC in the Department of Electrical Engineering. I mean he's not he's 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 not a nobody, right? I mean he's a real he's a serious. Um, artificial intelligence or our machine learning expert. Anyway, this book 
called Fuzzy Thinking, which is sort of a popular book on the subject he wrote in the early 90s and he's just sort of he starts riffing on some things um, about the advancement of of technology and things like that and he says oh and by the way my plan is that I'm going to be frozen when I die because you know what do you got to lose right I mean and that's the way I think about it it's like okay if assuming you're not religious and you think that there's some kind of afterlife right when you die you die it's over right it's it there's no hope but if you're like hey man there's a, there's a shot I'm going to be woken up I'm going to close my eyes and then I'm going to be woken up and be like hey it's like 250 years later Merry Christmas you're up but think about all the possibilities of the ways that you could be woken up I mean there's so so many well, dark possibilities well it's, all of them are better than death I don't think so because you can always just kill yourself you wake up you're like this sucks and then you kill yourself again uh you could be woken up by some evil genius who just wants to torture you. Yeah. Like, just puts your head in the jar, keeps you conscious, <laughs> and just keeps on sticking pins in your eyes. I doubt it. That, that, there's no way... There's no way oh, what? That. That's... There's no way that. That's is, more unlikely than so, waking up in 500 so years. you would <laughs> you, rather be You dead. said... The way you said I doubt it there, you said as if, like, Justin, you're talking crazy. That could never happen. But waking up in 500 years, that's obviously going to happen. Well, that's... that's there's, there's a technological basis for how that could be possible right I mean as long as you have uh, your DNA and you have your brain there they can maybe map your brain I mean you talk about these super high resolution um, scanning systems and you know who knows what will be possible in 100 or 200 years okay that's interesting right okay so let's just go with that so we freeze your we chop off Jason's head we freeze his head I think I'll just do my whole body right I'll, I'll keep, okay. I'll keep well, okay. well, let's, let's, let's just go with this no we, you, they, you do your head they do my whole body no but let's just go with this concept right mm-hmm. Jason's head cryogenically frozen right 500 years time they scan in his complete head right which has got all his um, ideas thoughts. memories yep. thoughts they then put that into another body so then all of a sudden you wake up is it you yeah, well, no, it doesn't have to be your body. I mean, it's just your consciousness, right? So is that you, except it's a copy of your consciousness. It's not even you. Well, that's what they always talk about, like, teleportation and things like that. When the reality is, what's kind of interesting is, like, if you were teleported somewhere else, what would be you? Would, like, they talk about, like, have you ever watched, like, um, uh, Michio Kaku has this yeah. thing called Sci-Fi Science, and, you know, one of the shows was, like, on teleportation. And the idea being, okay, so... If they if they scan and he wouldn't talk to all these scientists like what would be the most feasible way of something like that happening right so there's some super high resolution scanning machine that scanned your 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 entire being right? yeah and then transmitted that information to some let's say the moon or yeah. Mars yeah to little, our little space station on Mars and and then reconstruct it like a 3D printer right like the yeah. equivalent of a 3D printer well your body's still here yeah. so your body has to be destroyed immediately yeah. But if it didn't, if it went wrong, like let's say the destruction part of the mechanism failed, so there's still you here, and there's a copy of there, and you're like, hey, don't kill me. You That's know? multiplicity. Which That's which exactly one's which one's you. Which one's you? And what raw material do you create the new you out of? Like because you have to have some raw material to feed it in. You probably right. use chicken shit, right? <laughs> You've well, got like some you, big container. Maybe that of would dirt. be what they'd make you out of. <laughs> <laughs> there's some big container of dirt that they reassemble the atoms into you on the other side. Well, I mean, we're mostly what? We're mostly water, you know, <laughs> what's it? Oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, you know. I mean, where there's a handful, there's a handful of basic elements. I think they were thinking of wormholes or something like that in the main transporter technology. Well, no, that, I mean, that, I'm talking about this particular uh, show, show by yeah, Michio yeah. Kaku. So, yeah, I mean, if, like, what would be? How would you? How would it be feasible to build like the thing, the transporter from Star Trek? 
But I thought that they already did. Tra- they already have transported what, like one atom. Yeah, they can. They've did done. They've done that. They've, they've transported. I think. You read about stuff like that pop up on like yeah. you know, MIT Technology Review will try this article about how they've physicists at such and such university have transported this one element to the other side of the room instantaneously or, or it went back in time or it, I don't yeah. know. But, um, you know, anyway, the, back to the original story, the question of immortality or rather extended mortality. I wouldn't be immortality, but extended mortality. Well, I uh, always think, I always think that I would rather... I would rather if I was on my deathbed I'd rather be thinking you know what I got a shot here some shot is better than no shot but just like I'm going to die and that's it that just sucks too bad and and, and, and <laughs> you know I mean right no no I no mean, not right really bad I'll, no, tell, why, I'll, why, why? I'll tell you one, I'll tell you one reason because and, and don't talk about you know someone's going to break you up just to torture you because that's just stupid there's a lot of there's a lot of religions and there's a lot of not just religions there's also like just spiritual theories that you're we, there's a whole chakra there's a whole chakra system there's a whole uh, we have a number of um, etheric bodies and all those bodies are basically intertwined and attached to our physical body in some way and that in fact to such an extent that until our body is fully decomposed it, do, it, it doesn't truly get released back to the to the kind of uh, etheric world, right? So if you keep your head or your body frozen and you can't ever be woken up or whatever, then if that's true, then essentially that um, etheric aspect of yourself will never be released. So you'll be kind of chained to the physical state in, an, in a non-awakening sense. Okay, so, I mean, I guess, so you believe, you're, you do, are you religious? No, I, I don't believe that, but what I'm saying is... Just because other people believe something. But there's just as much a chance of... I mean, no. Look, oh, there's no, there's, there's no... Okay, first of all, okay, let's Oh, this. there is so much documentation about... about. There's documentation that people believe something? What, that doesn't no, 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 That's, no, the, that's no. the logical fallacy no, no, of appeal no. to the masses. A lot of people believe this, therefore it must be have some credibility. There's a lot of, uh, if, a lot of information and research about the fact that we have some kind of... Um, etheric body along with our yeah kind of once you forward me that that scientific documentation Karelian photography Karelian photography Karelian photography basically if you if you um, if you take a living thing mm-hmm. right with this and with this Karelian photography it's a way of like photographing something when it's touching this thing right mm-hmm. so basically imagine a piece of tin foil you put a leaf on a piece of tin foil right mm-hmm. and it puts some kind of electric charge and then it takes a picture of the electric touch point, something like that, right? So then you put a leaf on this or uh, some other living thing. You probably don't want to do this with a hand or something. But basically, you put a leaf on it, then you cut the leaf off, take half the leaf away, and then within a second, take a picture using this methodology, and there's still an outline of a leaf with the rest of it, and then it kind of dissipates and disappears, like after uh, about that, three that, seconds. That sounds like a parlor trick to me. Well, here's my here's my thought, right? I, I, I don't give any... I, I don't give any sort How of... How much research have you done? How much have you looked into it? it? This, look, it, this doesn't... There, there's, there's no scientific evidence anywhere saying that can prove that there's life after death. Well, there is the that. fact that... Belief. There is it's the fact religion. that when people die, 13, it's always 13 ounces leaves the body. Yeah, I, I think... The second people die, 13 ounces go. Let me put it this way. I don't give any credibility to that kind of stuff. But, but ex- explain that. How's that I don't. I, I haven't even looked into it. 
As, as far there as I know, go. it's just a movie. Okay, so so right now you're in the same mindset that people are about UFOs. You haven't even looked into it. Now you are you have an open mind about UFOs, and you're researching it. You're looking into it, and you're thinking, right, maybe that's a possibility. You're talking to people who've done the hard, cold evidence about it. But believe me, there's a lot of books written that, and there's a lot of people researching those kind of books who are like Leslie Keen. Who, t- who talk about the kind of stuff that I do? I don't know about that. Okay. I wouldn't say at Leslie Kane level. Leslie Kane's a, 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 a investigative journalist. Okay. She's not a. She's not just like, you know, looking at stuff like, oh, this is neat. She's going. Okay, so if documented. I, so you will you promise to read those books? If I if I no, I'm not going to read if a they, bunch of books. If you if you read if you give me a, a paper on it from a legitimate source, I'll read that. Okay, I'll do it. But here's what I think. So okay, you obviously believe there's life after death. I don't think there's anything like that. There's no. There's, to me, there's no scientific basis for anything like that. Um, I, if something isn't against the, doesn't break the laws of physics, as we understand them, or what we think might be possible, then I'm willing to, I'm willing to consider it. So here's the thing, though. So let's say that, let, let's say that you do, um, let's say you do freeze yourself, right? You're woken up and you're, it, you, you luck out, things work out, right? You get woken up and 200, 300 years, 500 years, whatever it is. Science have advanced to a, to a significant degree that they can regenerate your body instantaneously, rejuvenate you using your own DNA. Presto, you're back to your 30-year-old self, right? Fantastic. So let's say that you're like, oh no, I did, you know I didn't die. You know, you know you can die in a thousand years if you want. Die in five thousand years. You know, say so you can die at any point. You can kill yourself if you want. If you're like, oh, I, I just I feel like I should have been dead, but then go kill yourself, or just let yourself die. Don't take advanced advantage of whatever advanced medications and longevity stuff you have there going on you're right? never you're never really going to let yourself die because the survival instinct's too big look at you you, yeah, well, why you, you want to get yourself cryogenically frozen that's how big the survival instinct is well why would you want to I don't know why you'd want to uh, live again in that weird state what, how do you know what state it's going to be Exactly. That's my question to you. Well, who cares? Why? Why? Was, I mean, look. <laughs> why would you be so scared of it? I mean, so you're you're fearful of something, but it's like you know what? There's there's always an escape mechanism. Why would you be so scared of death? Because there's just nothing there. It's you're done. It's over. It's out. You're game over. There's nothing left. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not religious, so I don't believe. In, I don't believe there's anything. But like beyond when you go to sleep, do you care that there's nothing there? Do like, I care? There's a lot of here. times you go to sleep and you just don't dream anything. And you just... That's it. You're out for the count. Big deal. So what? One way or another. Yeah. You know, I mean, the one of the things... Um, the wanting to live on is a classic trait of a narcissist. So I'm a narcissist because I don't want to die. It's a classic... Give me a break. It's a classic trait of a narcissist to want to exist beyond death. Give me a break. That is such an asinine thing to say. It's, Nobody it's not, wants it's to die. True. Nobody wants to die, so then we're all narcissists. Uh, so the only people who are not narcissists <laughs> are people who believe in, in, uh, in who no, people no, are religious. No, 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 no. So what you're saying is, no. I'm religious, I believe there's no. life after death, therefore I'm okay with that, no. so therefore I'm not a narcissist. No. The fact that you don't want to die because you believe you're... It's to actually person. believe that you can live after death is a classic trait of a narcissist, Give and that's what break. you're saying here. So, okay, enough with the pop psychology. <laughs> Give me a break. That's right, let's move on. So we got a number of, a number of our listeners have... Um, have actually uh, written posts or um, listed us, and you know, so like Phil Monet um, listed us as his, uh, uh, along his with his favorite podcast. Actually, I think we were number one yeah. on his sidebar of his on the sidebar of his blog. With, and with, with the key, te- the key, um, the keyword text. So it's like a href equals texting live, and then in the brackets is tech space podcast. Right, and Alex Gimmel. 
Did he wrote a yep, nice, he wrote a nice blog post about Thanks, it. Alex. And uh, we had a few others. You ha- I have them there listed. Oh, do you? No, the, uh, the other piece of paper I have in there uh, are actually... Oh, okay. I printed out the comments. Yep, so Philip... Um, Alex. Ben Boiter did it for us. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, Alex Gemmel, and I can't see anyone else. I thought we had one or two more. Did Udi do it? Uh, yeah, I think Udi did it. Although I can't see him commenting here. That's all I got. Well, anyway, so how many links would we need for this to make have any kind of effect? A hundred? Probably like 500. 500? I guess. So, we got a long way to go. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you happen to own like a, you know, a content farm... <laughs> You could really help us out. Right, right. Well, that was cool that they did it. Thanks, guys. That yeah. was, that's just really cool. But talking about backlinks, so I'm trying to get... Um, uh, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, do I want to talk about that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. come on. Okay, so I'm, I'm using Traffic Woosh to help me out on Plugio. Traffic Woosh is Erica... Um, Erica... What's Erica's last name? Douglas. Douglas. So Erica Douglas. We spoke to Erica last, last episode, and I've sort of put Plugio into her dashboard... And I've been waiting for the links, but so far no links. Like you, you log into the dashboard and it says when it builds links, but so far nothing. Not for the last five days anyway, which is kind of interesting because it's, it's an expensive service. I'm paying five hundred bucks. You know, I'm, I've been in there for a week. I would have expected something to happen by now. Well, did you say it was going to be like a week after you after it started before she would have any backlinks for you or something? Like you would have a discussion and that you were telling me there would be like a week delay or something? No, no. Uh, I actually ended up doing the consultation with her on that day. Okay. So then I, on that day of that podcast, which was when? Last? Last weekend. Last oh, no, Wednesday? it was this week, right? It was Wednesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday. Week. Okay. So on Wednesday, I basically put it into the system. So it's now Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I guess it's only four days. Yeah, four days. That's probably too quick. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's I'll give it another week. If, it, if by this time next week there's no links, then I'll, uh, I'll email her. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now, I showed you that. I, I forwarded you a link to Trada. Have you heard of Trada? Yeah, I have heard of Trada. That's expensive. What is Trada? So basically, Trada is where they get SEO professionals. Uh, so rather than you having to do the, the SEO, the, sorry, not SEO, PPC, rather than you having to do the manage the PPC campaigns, right. you put the money in here and it's seasoned PPC experts who basically deal with your money. So they get commission, they get a percentage of the money, and then they use that money to set up your campaigns. So you can't get very much done uh, without putting in a, a sizable chunk of money. How much would you say? You couldn't even get started without 500. I mean, PPC is kind of expensive. Like PPC, the the issue with PPC is that is that a lot of PPC nowadays, a click costs you anywhere from like a dollar to five dollars kind of thing, mm, and right. you you optimize it against your ROI. So, I mean, uh, Keith, uh, who we interviewed, says that he was going to be spending a thousand on Plugio just to test it out. Keith from Zors. Yeah, from Zors. Zors. Yeah. He'd be spending a thousand just to work out which keywords work. Well, that's what he's going to do, right? But he's do- he's taking a percentage because he's going to partnership with you. As well, that's right, yeah. But but my, the point I'm making is is that a guy like that spending a thousand just to test out whether he can make it work on Plugio. So Trada, you know, it's going to cost you probably more than a thousand just to get started. So that might be something worth investigating a year from now. I think so. Yeah, that's interesting because sort of the, I, what I saw it was like crowdsourced. 
um, marketing or something like that. Or yeah. Crowdsourced. But how are those guys going to come up with effective campaigns without actually testing them? And to test them, you know, for example, you can't test it without getting 100 clicks. If it's costing you between one buck and five bucks a click. Is it that expensive with Twitter for business or the various? Oh, yeah, yeah. Them? It's going to cost, like, the, to, to get to position number one, it's probably going to cost you three bucks per click. Yeah, wow. Wow. Okay. So Three to five. What have you been doing for the marketing? So you, you, you signed up with uh, Erica at Traffic, uh, Woosh Traffic. Uh, Woosh Traffic. Woosh Traffic. Yeah. And then, uh, and what else have you been doing marketing-wise? Well, there's an idea that I suggested to you last week, which was that have have that uh, guy that who you're, who's you been writing blog posts, you've been paying to write a daily blog post, write two blog posts and spend the three days a week out, reaching out and writing emails Something funny about that guy, right? Um, I don't want to be editorially... Uh, what's the word? Overbearing. Okay. You just want him to kind of write what he wants to write. Okay. But he keeps on writing things that show Plugio in a bad light. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. He's, because he's wanting to just, you know, get views, right? So he's he, and I, I, he's completely not doing it on purpose. Right. He's just doing it by, you know, by accident. Like, what was it? Um, so yeah, so the other day he was, a discussion I had with him, I was like, I said, you know, because he, he makes money through selling books on... Um, Craigslist and eBay so basically he picks up he finds people who have boxes full of books that they're giving away for free okay because they're like offloading them and then he sells them so I was like why don't you find some way to automate that that's kind of you know a lot of manual work if you do something like Plugio you know once someone buys then you don't have to do any work after that right right? so that was my private discussion with him so in the blog post he wrote I had this discussion with Justin where Justin said (laughs) when someone buys from Plugio then he doesn't have to do any work after that so that's now on the bloody blogs it's on the website and of course if any customer's reading that they're thinking oh this guy just takes our money and runs but of course I I do have to do an awful lot of work right well I mean you know I don't. I don't think it's a bad work. I mean, yeah. It, you're basically what you're talking. What you're saying is you want leverage. You do yeah. something once and have to do many. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think it shows it in such a bad light. It's like, oh, you write a book once and then you know someone buys it. You don't have to do any work because they bought the book. I'm yeah. like, well, you know, well, I did all the work up front. That's actually what he what he's decided to do is to write an ebook. That's what his blog post was about. How he's decided to write an ebook about selling online rather okay. than to do the selling online. Right. But uh, no, it's just funny. It's just things like that. Well, I mean, do you do, do you okay them before they go out? Well, I kind of want to give him autonomy, you know? Well, I think that's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, just like what you said, I mean, you should be able to give... I mean, anything that's written and posted on the company blog about your product should be edited by you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's nice... To, I, I, I think, and I see this in you, you, you oftentimes wish you could just like kind of like you know add water and then walk away and it grows into this beautiful garden and you don't have to do anything you know <laughs> and you, you keep having this fantasy I see it with Startup Guild and I see it with Bluggio and that's obviously not how it works it's like you have to continuously put effort into things and oversee things if you want them to be high quality I mean I think if you look at most I mean, this is my I can't prove this but I feel like I've read this so many times uh, this is something I believe that most successful um, companies have CEOs that are just have a lot of give a lot of attention to detail. They care a lot about every aspect of it, whether it's customer support or user interface design or you know back end scalability or whatever it is. Right? They're they're involved with everything, making sure everything is high quality, attention to detail. And um, you know, it's one thing if you're like 
a bigger company, you're like, well, I can't be involved with everything. You know, I have to kind of step away and let other people have stuff, have their say, and, and that's fine. But even bigger companies usually have an approval process, and big things are usually signed off by the CEO in the end. And you're like a one-person company. You're just outsourcing one thing. And you're already like, ah, you do whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's sort of fantasy, and I think all that happens is you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have the degree of uh, quality they're going to want because when things aren't at the level you want or they're, or they're at least not in the direction you want, it's too late. Well, I went through the original um, <clears throat> first two months of uh, proofing everything every day and then I wanted to set up a presence the same way that... Um, so th- in the same way that Derek Sivers did CV- CD Baby, like he set the process and then taught people how to do it the way that he would do it. So I spent two months doing that. Right? Yeah, but you know, it fell apart for him at the end, right? Oh, okay. Do you remember that? No, I didn't. Things started falling apart. They weren't at the level. And then there was like a mutiny and every, you know, all of the people who were working for him kind of didn't want him to be involved. I mean, it was, I mean, it was bad stuff happened. So, um, well, so I've I've already got the mutiny off to just one person. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's something to be said for having a light touch and giving people a certain amount of autonomy and and giving them and, and, and trusting and respecting that they'll get stuff done. But I think in the end... It, you should at least have a final review. I yeah. think you should have at least a final review. I mean, if you ed- ed- edit every you know sentence that he writes, I mean, he's going to get irritated. If you read over the posts he writes, and you might make a few small corrections, or every once in a while you rewrite you know a couple sentences, or you say, "Hey, this one." Post, I guess it's not. That's it's not. not it won't be an issue because before what was happening was it was one post every day, right? Right. So that was a lot to keep checking, and I did that for the first two months. But now he's only doing two a week, mm-hmm. so I'll just proofread them before they go out. That's not a bad idea. I think idea. that's. Fair. I think that's. I think that's the safe way to go. I think you're you're asking for uh, trouble in the sense that if you don't, in the sense that. It just won't be at the quality you want, or or, there, or things will come out that you didn't want out there. Okay. Or, or at least they're written in a way that you did you wouldn't have wanted them written. All right. Well, thanks. That's good advice. So um, you got in your notes here, Sandeep's SEO advice. Yeah. Sandeep's awesome SEO advice. Right. So he uh, he either sent us an email or wrote us a blog. Send us an email. Send an email. Okay. Yeah. So those are his ideas on how to improve the SEO of the podcast so he says we should buy the domain textingpodcast.com right we should put the word podcast in the page title and we should do we should call it texting podcast for hackers yeah and create a texting youtube channel because basically youtube the text that on the youtube channel will add to no 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 the last part is because um youtube has a content discovery mechanism built in right you watch okay. you watch a video and it's like oh people watch this one here here are other videos you might like essentially is what they're doing oh, kind yeah, of like yeah, how yeah. Amazon does with books other people who bought this book bought these other books or looked at these other books or whatever well YouTube does that by just throwing up other related videos so if someone happens to be watching you know the Google talk series maybe or maybe they're watching some um, recordings of some uh, you know conference on some, some tech conference Maybe TechZing, our channel, will come up as one of the suggestions. Oh, if you like that, you might like this. That's a good idea. Which is something I suggested about six months ago, um, but we never did. But I mean, good. I think that would be a great service. Um, a service that dealt with the deployment, the automatic deployment of podcasts to a number of different platforms. Um, that would be a great software as a service uh, 
tool that I would just pay for straight out of the box. I mean, something that you just upload an MP3 and a photo to this one place, and then it can send it to SoundCloud, it can send it to Libsyn, it can send it to YouTube, it can send it to all those places. Right. You know? Right. That would be great. I wish it existed right now. Hmm. I'm I sure. Lot, I wonder if there's enough of a market there to oh, make any money doing but that. But everyone who does a podcast wants to get more exposure. Yeah, but how I, many of them are there? How many podcasts are there? People that aren't like if you if you cut off all the like all the podcasts where they do like seven shows or they do a show once every two months and uh, it's just sort of a nothing podcast. I mean, of the serious regular podcasts, how many of them are yeah, there? Yeah, but that's there? that's the point. There's a, let's say there's at least ten thousand, but I can guarantee you that, right? 10,000 serious podcasters. Okay. Now, all of those people would want a tool that can make their can make their podcast go exponential. So, in terms of Anyfoo, we got a lot of positive feedback of from yeah, people we did. seem to think that was a pretty good idea. There was more comments about that than the uh, the links. Yeah, well, I mean, there's not a whole lot of talk about the links, but the the comments generally well, one of the main comments was like it was that people liked the idea of it being $100 and up. Yeah, like that makes sense to people because an expert is definitely not going to waste time, at least if it's a financial thing. Uh, they're not going to waste time um, for you know twenty bucks or fifty bucks an hour. I mean, either you make it f- not about money, like Stack Overflow, and it's about karma points. And you just do it out of the goodness of your heart, and people do do that. But it's once you introduce money, then it has to be. Then they're going to me- then they're going to measure it against. There are other mechanisms for earning money. Yeah. Right. And so if they're like, well, I get paid one hundred fifty dollars an hour as a SQL consultant, or you know, whatever it is, then they're going to figure out like, well, is this worth my time? And not only that, it's like this. It's like for me. So I charge one hundred dollars an hour, and in terms of the experts, that's not a that's not a ton of money. A lot of people I know charge more than that, and so. For me to want to do that for hundred dollars an hour, I would probably charge want to charge more because I don't have to break my sort of flow, right? Yeah. Because if I can just start working on Uber, for instance, and I can just work as many hours as I want as I have, you know, there's like an infinite amount, of, a seemingly infinite amount of things that need to get done. And but if I said, oh, I need to stop, I need to coordinate. When am I going to be available to do this? And am I going to stop and go, okay, what does this person need me to help them with and stuff? And and. I, while I may enjoy talking to him, I may enjoy the experience, it's still going to be somewhat disruptive to what I was doing already. It's a breaking of my context. Yeah. So it would have to be more than $100 an hour. It'd probably have to be at least $150 an hour for me to feel like it wasn't a money loser. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I would think. So um, that's one issue I, I was I would think. Now, I can't remember. I, think, I don't know if it was Aaron or somebody had suggested that Maybe it's fifty dollars an hour until you're approved or vetted. So new people who haven't been haven't had don't have enough. Rev- I thought that was an, an interesting idea. So it's like an introductory offer that you give. Yeah. So you're fifty dollars an hour for your first three hours or five hours. That's or not a bad idea. Clients or whatever. To build, just to build up some credibility on the system. That's not bad. Without there's being a, overcharged. There's a couple other ideas in there. Do, 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 but you know, you know that reason why that's a good idea as well, hmm. because it's like. It, it incentivizes the buyers as well to test those people out. Yeah. You know? So the other people are like 100 or 150, but then these guys are on special because they're new. Well, yeah, because, okay, well, think about it as a, as a um, think about it as a client or a, a user, right? It's like, okay, I'm trying to scale this database. We're having scalability problems with the database. Yeah. Um, this thing needs to get fixed pretty quickly. Um, do I spend 
$50 an hour and you know who I don't know it could be three hours it could be five hours of help I, I don't know how many hours it's gonna take for an unreviewed guy yeah and I, I just don't know I mean if I may want to try it out I you know it depends on my mood it depends how um, I guess it depends on uh, how badly I need this fix if it's something I need fixed like tomorrow or it's my ass on the line I'm gonna go for the the highest review the guy with the top reviews I don't care if it's hundred or two hundred dollars an hour yeah five hundred dollars an hour because I need this solved right now. Yeah. Our system is melting down. I need the biggest, you know, the the most qualified, highest probability expert. Yeah. Um, on the phone now, and uh, and so to kind of an emergency mode, but where people are like, oh, I'll try this guy out for fifty bucks, and if it's kind of weak or his communication skills aren't so good or he's not really understanding what I'm talking about and he can't seem to explain what I should be doing, you know, it's not a big deal. I'll pay fifty bucks and it's over. Do you think that people should have? Um like a, like the option to say that they do like a money back guarantee kind of thing, so that if you if you work with them for an hour, if you f- if you feel like it didn't solve your issue, then there's no charge kind of thing. Yeah, see, I don't. That's an interesting thing. It's like how do we enforce it? Unless the payment goes through us, which you'd probably want it to go through us because that would be the only way that we could enforce things like that. Huh. Right. So we're almost like an escrow service in a sense that. Um, because otherwise you have to have everybody has to set up their own sort of PayPal account or something which they could do and you might be able to do that for starters but or you might even make that an option but I think people might be more comfortable paying our service and if they say listen I have a problem it didn't work out this guy didn't really deliver you know I, I okay well so hours, what would the back end mechanism be PayPal just one big yeah, PayPal account yeah but just and then we would pay them so it would be sort of like you know and maybe we would take a small cut for facilitating the whole process, right? Because we, we have some risk on the line that people are going to... Um, well, I mean, I guess we don't have any risk. It's just... Uh, so, hold on. Are we taking subscriptions or are we taking a cut? I don't know. I mean, these are all different options. You know, you could, you, 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 what you could do is you could have, you know, variations on that, right? Maybe... Um, see, if you just charge through transactions and it's easy for people... Um, it's, it's easy for... Um, people just to, to work around it say ah you know what just uh you know yeah pay me I, off I, I don't think we should do transactions at all personally i think it should just be a bill a monthly billing and if we do offer an escrow service it's just we just do that as part of the deal yeah maybe a part of a thing like they can sign up for it and like they pay through us and maybe the the um yeah that, that's how uh, i mean if you think about it that's how ebay kind of works does Cause, it well because ebay you can pay via paypal which is their company or you can pay direct using a credit card or you can pay set by setting a check um, but it would be in some ways good to just have it going through PayPal right and mm-hmm. then just going through us but the only issue with that is is they do lose money not because we take a cut but because PayPal takes a cut yeah PayPal takes a cut so there's a certain amount of um, we'd have to mark things up or we just tell them that you know PayPal's cut PayPal got yeah, a cut right yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's an option, but yeah, there's the there's the. Um, PayPal gets a cut twice then if it goes because it goes through us, cut one, and then we send it to them, cut two. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the best thing or not. I mean, I like the subscription because I like recurring revenue. I think it's such a predictable, yeah. reliable business model, and we don't have to worry about people gaming the system so much. I mean, the reason experts register on there is because that's how you get business. It's like. The reason you pay for an ad on the Yellow Pages is because that's how you get business, right? I'll tell you, uh, talking about subscriptions, um, 
I've now had two refunds for Plugia. Uh-huh. And I don't know if this is going to change, but the feeling of refunding money mm-hmm. is a multiplication of 100 versus someone cancelling a free account. Like, it's very stressful. Okay. Right? It's like losing a gambling. So those two cancellations feel like a big deal. I guess maybe because there's only two. Okay. But when I see someone getting cancelling, I now get... I feel stressed. Okay. And I feel like, oh no, I've made a, I've built a bad product or whatever. Right. Like it's weighing heavily on me. Sure. And um, it didn't weigh heavily on me when people just cancelled the free subscriptions. You, you, you take it personally. Yeah. So I wonder if that's uh, going to be an issue on the long term. Well, I think... I, I, my guess is it's kind of like... It's one of those things you're just going to have to develop a thick, thicker skin. Yeah. And you'll get used to it. So I, I think it's like... Maybe when you write a blog post, first time you get a negative comment or two, it really affects you. But after a while, you get a little thicker skin to it. I mean, it never completely goes away, but uh, you get you adapt. I mean, if you can't if you can't adapt to the fact that you give that you might have to give refunds every once in a while, then I guess you really can't be in business. <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, it's just part of. But I think I think it's important that you care, right? It's important that you care enough about Plugio to take it personally. And I think what you should also do is is attempt to reach out to them. And ask them what 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 it was about Plugio that made them want to cancel, and if there are things that you should change about it. Well, that's all in the automated system anyway. It does that for any, anyone who cancels. And why did they cancel? I, I will find that out once once they've uh, once they've refunded. Okay. So actually, as it turned out, the first guy who uh, refunded, he basically said, "Oh, I really love Plugio. I love your service. Uh-huh. It's just that the client who engaged me to do this." Uh, doesn't actually need this done right now. I think they're going to be coming back in about two weeks, and then I will resubscribe. Well, there you go. So that was fine. I, I don't know about this second guy that I just got right now. Okay. Okay. Well, that's you know. I mean, what's what are the updates on the on the Plugio numbers? Uh, the Plugio numbers were were great for last month, as as expected. Um, this month, I know we're only four days in, but it's not doing great. It's basically keeping level. Pace with last month. It, yeah, well, four days. No, is no it's, not, it's not keeping pace with last month. There's, there's no growth. It's just the first four days, no new customers. No new customers. Okay. Which once again isn't great. I'm I'm feeling worried about Plugio right now. Why? Because I've had two cancellations and no growth. <laughs> for well, four it's only days. Four days. You know, four days is not statistically significant. Probably. You know, the first. I think what you might have to look is look at. I think I think what's even better than doing a month to month is doing like a rolling uh, thirty days, rolling twenty. I like, see. Like, yeah. what are the past thirty days to the previous the thirty days before that? Right. So it's called a moving average. You need a thirty day moving average. Oh, that's a good idea. That's um, yeah, because otherwise you have things like, well, how you know what are the first three days in May, June look like the first three days? It's just it's stupid. There's just not enough information there, and it's nice to always have a sense of how things are going. It's a smoother curve and it has enough statistical significance I mean, and in trading that's a, you, you're always looking at moving averages what's the moving average of the you know S&P index or whatever I mean where, where so are would we? I would I do a chart that basically had for every day it would plot the previous 30 days rollings that's right that's right huh that that is a much uh, more robust um, metric interesting so that's going to look pretty steady really well that's good well that's what you want I mean yeah. because the problem is the problem is is by not doing that you have statistical insignificance um, on the numbers that are that you're using to evaluate your current situation and, and they affect your psychology 
this is the, just what you said. I'm worried about plugio. Yeah. It's a, having a negative effect on your psychology. Yeah, but wouldn't it the other way around be a problem as well? Because because it would be so steady, I would be less worried. That's good. You don't want to be worried. I think you just you want to be you as a technology because you're a technologist first and foremost, right? You want to be making plugio better as a product, and I think what you don't want to have to do is spend a lot of time worrying and stressing about the finances. You want to spend time worrying and stressing about the quality of the product. Yeah. And if you kind of look like a look, it's a general upward trajectory. Um, you know, you, you don't have to stress about every little up and down move. Then you'll just be more focused because if you get a negative mindset, if, you, if your psychology is too negatively impacted, you're not going to make as much progress on Plugio because you're going to be feeling bad about it. Yeah. You know, we remember how we introduced James Altucher when we interviewed him. He talked about when he traded that he felt every up and down tick on the market just affected him. Every every molecule. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Mentally. That's what I'm feeling about uh, about Plugio right that's what you're now. Feeling about. two cancellations. Well, you got That's why you got to get away from that. Yeah. You need you need you need to insulate yourself from that kind of uh, those negative signals as much as possible. Um, otherwise, you're just not going to be as productive. All right, well, I think we've just arrived at uh, our destination, so uh, we're just pulling up and parking, so I think we should call that show. Let's call it. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>